Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today, myself and Paul Hoppy are talking about Season 3 of Cobra Kai. We're talking about violence and bullying. We're talking about how you escape your image of the past. And we're talking about results-oriented morality. All that more after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew. Uh, joining me, as I said, is Paul. Paul, how are we feeling today? Are you bright and chipper and ready to dive into this topic? I just want to say it feels late to me, <laughs> and yet it is only 18 minutes later that I would begin my shift back when I was shift manager uh, running a poker room. So Le- Legit, legit. Um, it's all relative. Uh, for those who are wondering why um, Paul and I are talking about this, I, I want to kind of throw it out there because I think this is going to be a solid, good episode. We might be a bit jump. Eh. We might be a bit punchy. As we just finished doing three hours of podcasting on our Another Friends of Ours episode uh, that we will hopefully go up soon. You should definitely check out. Focused on Infinity. Um, and I had done another podcast before that. So it's been a long night. It's currently 1.20 in the morning. But Cobra Kai Season 3 has just launched. It came out January 1st, so it's about five or six days old now. And frankly, there's an awful lot I want to talk about with this season. And I know Paul feels the same. Um, and so I'm really excited to, to get to jump into this conversation, even given the time. Um, and so let's just start there, Paul. What's You were the person who kind of turned me on to Cobra Kai. Um, I think we had a great conversation after season two about all the things we liked about the show. Some things that we were kind of starting to see sneak in that were not as good. Um, what's your kind of overall thought on season three? Uh, very mixed, uh, as it was for season one and two. Uh, I will say that we're, if we're a bit punchy, then uh, doing a show about karate would be, uh, well you know, yeah, um, appropriate, I suppose. Um, which, you know, Cobra Kai is a show about karate, sort of, right? Um, they actually got into the, the origins a little more of, of <clears throat> both characters' styles, both of the main mm-hmm. um, teacher characters' styles, anyway. And, uh, yeah, I I enjoyed it. Because I came in with, I think, appropriate expectations. And my appropriate, ex- my expectations, I'd say, were basically that there was going to be some fun action, some ridiculous action, and, you know, some interesting <clears throat> character moments that I, I think are kind of, you know, anywhere between poignant to funny to, you know, there's, they hit a lot of notes in this series. Uh, a mm-hmm. lot of them humor. And then that there was going to be just some ridiculous contrivance. People were going to get mad at each other without listening to each other talk. You know, Danny and Johnny mm-hmm. were not going to be able to spend more than like a day talking to each other. And um, ridiculous stuff was going to happen. And hopefully, yeah. uh, I, you know, I ended up going from one place of wanting to see one thing happen to then wanting to see something else happen to then, I guess, full spoilers, right? Um, yeah, this is a, we assume that you've watched season three of Cobra Kai or that you just don't care and you're just interested in hearing us talk about this kind of interesting cultural, cultural show. Yeah, so so basically they didn't do anything that I hated that had consequence. And when people, when shows do things that I like, I want it to have consequence. Mm-hmm. And if they do things that really bother me, I prefer it to almost be the sort of genre where like, Cause there's like a, a like there's a thing where like actions don't have consequence or or events don't have consequence in certain types of media, and right. when 
when whatever it is is I find really stupid or annoying, if there's no consequence, I can kind of like almost like edit it out. You know, hmm. like in my experience hmm. of the show, I can be like, yeah, whatever. I'll just sort of glaze over that. Whereas if uh, it has some really awful consequence or something, then I'm like, no, next show. Yeah. And I, I have to say, that's very interesting because just from chatting with you, I thought you had a very different experience of the show. Um, I certainly really did. I, to be honest, I wanted to talk about this show, which is the only reason I didn't stop watching. And and for me, there's, there's kind of two things. We're going to talk about during the show. I did feel like a number of characters made decisions that had major consequences that were completely out of character and that didn't make sense. And I felt like didn't fit the ethos that the show had set up in a way that I could buy into. And also that other characters took actions that should have had massive consequences that did not. Right. Um, I I found myself really disliking this season. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of makes me want to go back and rewatch season one. The main reason I, I didn't like it is one that I think we'll talk about more, but but I think it's interesting to, to hear that. And I, I I will say that I really didn't like the first few episodes, mm-hmm. and it, it was sort of a combination of momentum and like, well, I guess we're going to podcast on this that carried yeah. me through. <clears throat> and sort of, I guess the way that things ended up lets me not sort of carry the weight of the things that bothered me throughout this series. There's I definitely, there's some major things, like... You had one compelling black character and you wrote them out and then you add a new black character who's just like this two-dimensional like yeah. stereotype. Like that's horrible, right? And yeah. and there's there's definitely um, you know, the the portrayal of Asian characters certainly leaves a lot to be desired, or like for there to maybe be more in uh mm-hmm. in an area like Southern Southern California, <laughs> in a sort of like upper middle class area. It's like really there's like two Asian people there. Like um uh but you know it, yeah. some of those things <clears throat> yeah. So I mean those things like could bother me more. I think it's it's just easier to jump into this topic and then we'll get to some of the other bigger meteor ones. I feel like when you first told me that what the show was gonna be, my thought was Look, The Karate Kid was a fun story, mm-hmm. but it's completely dated because right. a story about how there's a clear good guy and a clear bad guy, and if the bad guy's using violence, you can use violence and win the day and everything will be okay, just doesn't make any sense to me in this world. Um, and I, I feel like that's a real kind of failing of a lot of the media that I used to love when I was a kid. And I felt like season one and a lot of season two, not towards the end, but a lot of season two was really about trying to tell a very different story. I mean, in many ways, it felt very critical of the original Karate Kid movies. Um, Danny was not the pure hero. Johnny was not the pure villain. Right. There was a lot more complication, and there was certainly a lot of discussion of, you know, the victim learning karate to fi- to stop the bully doesn't always just stop with everything being fine. There's, yeah. there's problems that happen. And I felt like this season, they kind of were like, you know what? Karate Kid was awesome. Let's just tell him more Karate Kid stories. Um, (laughs) I I wonder if maybe this is what happened. You went into it with very low expectations. And so now when the show kind of reverted back to what you first may have expected, you're like, okay, cool. I went into it with much higher expectations because you told me it was a lot more than that. Mm. Um, And so I wonder if maybe that's why I had more trouble kind of letting go of that. Yeah. Because you're right. I think if I I just saw it in those terms. this season was more than (laughs) What'd you say? I said I didn't say this season was more than that, but... Yeah. <laughs> Although, actually, I, w- I would push back on that a little, but go, go ahead, continue. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I just mean, like, I 
I don't think I would have ever, I would have never started watching this show if it had the kind of tone that this season did. Mm, okay. Um, I feel like what I loved about the show was that it made the characters so complex and it made, it really raised questions about, you know, it didn't say that every problem can be solved with karate, but it also didn't say that every problem should be solved with talking. Like it, it said, look, look, this is compl- complicated. It said yeah. that heroes and bullies are not, you know, decided at birth. It's not genetic. It's, and most people can probably be one, can probably be both at different parts sure. of their lives, depending yeah. on who they are. Um, and I just, I just felt like this season lost so much of that complexity. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that's just kind of my general overall thought there. But yeah, push back some if you want to. Yeah, so I I feel like there's still some of that there. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's still some depth to you know even like the most villainous character really. Um, yeah. And then there's kind of you know there's a turn for one of the the most awful of his disciples, right? One of right. The, one of the kids who's been most negatively affected by him, I'd say, in terms of their sort of mindset and their their outlook. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do feel like. Maybe the the biggest part where I agree with you on that is like Danny, where mm-hmm. he where I, I feel like they were doing some interesting stuff with Johnny and Johnny and Miguel and like and then even Crease like they gave us a Crease backstory that yeah, I didn't we, know I wanted. That I loved. Yeah, and I read somewhere that said you know the Crease backstory that nobody wanted, and I was like, I didn't know I did, but like I actually liked it, and and I yeah. feel like it adds depth and it it kind of explains sort of the style. Um, but I, I do strongly agree that with Danny, they kind of, I feel like they let him off the hook a lot, you know, and in the first couple seasons, I feel like, especially the first season, and, and I think season two was more like season three, maybe than you remember. Um, Mm -hmm. but season one was, was the season where he really comes off like the bad guy, right? Like the antagonist. And then as the show goes on he kind of becomes more of a second protagonist and we see there's conflict between you know the the two men who were like mortal enemies as as children right as teens or whatever but that we can kind of see both of their perspectives but they kind of just like let Danny be more right most of the time yeah and I don't feel like he deserves that entirely, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they, mm-hmm. they let him be wrong when he goes to Japan. But then, like, that's maybe, like, a little too quick almost. I know that was something that you you didn't love, that that thread. Uh, that right. was actually some of my favorite part of the series, be, or of the season, because I felt like it did actually give some kind of a little bit more depth, a little more backstory to, you know, the style that that Miyagi taught him. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a little bit of karate history. Uh, they didn't get too deep into the, you know, the the difference between Okinawa mm-hmm. and like Japan as a nation and and all yeah. that. But they they kind of hinted at it, and you know, they they let him, um, and this former they basically let a former villain, you know, be redeemed. And it was a villain that, as I recall, like didn't really have a lot of redeeming aspects in the 80s movies so for sure i think it definitely lent depth to that but then it was like i feel like danny should have just been wrong more often and the fact that he was able to like basically tell his daughter like oh no you just like we're all afraid but and like this is true right like courage isn't the absence of fear it's you know action taken 
in the presence of fear, right? For and sure. he's basically trying to help her have courage. And that's cool, and that can work, but, like, at the same time, like, she probably should get some counseling, too, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the fact that that was never brought up as a possibility. Oh. Yeah, so there's a, a couple things that you unlocked there, and I, I'm glad that we're not... We joked about how we were going to have brief general thoughts about the show, but we've gotten into some of the topics I want us to discuss. <laughs> I feel like the trip to Japan... I want to talk about Danny as a parent, um, yeah. but I want to just... The trip to Japan, I think, is my perfect example of... The frustrations I had with the show because I felt like one of the things it kept doing was setting scenes up in incredibly contrived ways that seemed to violate a lot of the things the show asked us to believe and make characters look really bad. But then in that contrived situation have really awesome things happen because I agree with you. I think that the 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 discussion that Danny had with Cor- I think Corzon is it's is his chosen name? I think chosen. chosen the 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 scene he has I mean both just because it's really meaningful and powerful but also like to have this fight with a guy who wanted to fight him to the death before and now he's almost about to do it again and then he honks his nose <laughs> I haven't laughed that hard in a long time that right 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 that was brilliant <laughs> and and you're right the actually paying some attention to the Asian, you know, uh, Japanese Okinawan roots of these things that a whole bunch of white people are doing in the right, show right. was really nice. And we learned some lessons and we got, you know, Chekhov's nerve attack. That was right, obviously right. going to happen. That was obviously going to happen. The thing was for me, every moment of that, it was hard for me to enjoy that because I was thinking, Danny, your daughter has just had this massively traumatic moment. All of the students who you trained have just had this incredibly difficult thing. And the boy who you promised you would be there for him, you just turned into the police. Right, right, yeah. But you promised him, don't worry, I'll be with you every day, every step of the way. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, the whole time I was just like, I think if I maybe went back and watched it, I could probably enjoy it more. Mm. But the whole time I was like... Danny, get the fuck out of Japan. Your family needs you. Yeah, yeah. As well as just like, I think I made a joke to you about this, in terms of all the story, like they set up so many good characters who are going through such difficult things. Mm -hmm. I cared about Miguel. I cared about Robbie. Hell, I cared about Tori and like, you know, all the kids. What I didn't really care about was whether or not an upper middle class family could save their failing auto dealership. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. That's not totally. the cause I was fired totally. up about. Yeah, and the thing like like Doyona or so is that a thing? That's not a thing, right? Is that a thing? I mean I think it's supposed to be a stand in for Toyota. No, um, no, no. No, but I think they were uh I don't know. I think they were supposed I, to be like the major distributor for like all Japanese cars or something. It definitely seemed like some ridiculously contrived <laughs> thing that I didn't feel I, existed. I will say, I mean, I, I sold cars for six months. I don't have, like, okay, a PhD okay. in... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But certainly nothing about that experience in any way matches my understanding or my research about how the actual auto market works. Right, right, right. It, um, it, I mean, we could agree. It just, it felt ridiculous. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but here's the other thing about with Danny is it, I, I agree with you that... And I think the flip side of it is not only did they make Danny keep making choices that should have had consequences he never had to face, but... After having Johnny grow so much in two seasons, they took him right back to zero. Mm, yeah. And he did grow past that in some ways. But I have to say, the the moment where I turned the show off entirely, and it was only because we had a good discussion about what we wanted to talk about that I started watching again, 
so it's still y'all your fault, um, <laughs> is when Johnny, who has fought so hard to rebuild a place in Robbie's life and has worked so hard to not be the fuck-up of a parent he used to be, doesn't go to the meeting with Robbie in juvie that he oh, said that he would. That I, was so bad. Go ahead, yeah. I, I, I just... I, 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 it wasn't just that I was mad about it. I just, I don't believe the character they introduced us to would ever do that. Yeah. So I fully agree with that. When that happened, I was like, I see what they're doing here. Like they're manufacturing this ridiculous, you know, setup. And it's like, I, I could just like hear the writers in the writer's room being like, okay, um, so then we need to have Robbie get mad at his dad. Cause it looks like they're going to reconcile, but we want Robbie to end up with crease. So how do we do that? Well, we need to get him mad at his dad. Well, what if his dad doesn't show up, but his dad would show up? No, but we'll have like Miguel be going into surgery. Like, I mean, they could have, like, I don't believe that he wouldn't have gone like, definitely under those circumstances. But, like, if they'd had something, like, where Miguel was already in surgery and, like, it was, like, it was going really bad or something. He was, like, coding. Yeah. Like, maybe you could have sold me on it. But it was, like, no, he was going to go see Robbie. And then he didn't because the writers were, like, uh, let's have him not see Robbie. And they and I, I totally agree with that. Um, you mentioned Tori. And I find her a very potentially interesting character. Um, I feel like so much of this show could be about kind of class struggle. And mm. I feel like the original one kind of was like Karate Kid. And they sort of hint at that in season one. And when Tori shows up, they like, she like puts it out there. And yeah. then like, they just like, don't, I mean, you know, they have the whole like, oh, well, she's trying to pay, for, you know, help out her mom and, and they're broke and she has to work two jobs or whatever while going to school and then like you know her landlord propositions her then crease like comes to like rescue her basically and whatever but like they never they don't let her really kind of breathe as a character or develop and i feel like that's a huge lost opportunity because she's a character that really could lend a lot of um depth to the show and unfortunately they just use her as a um ridiculous villain and there was one scene where she shows up and Sam's and she says to Sam, she's like, you know, basically, I'm going to kill you or whatever. And I'm like, as the scene was progressing, I was like, this is more and more ridiculous. And I was like, oh, this is this is going to be a dream sequence. And it was. But right. at, at the same time, then later on in the show, she shows up basically like a ridiculous villain, like Sam, I'm a horror villain. I'm going to come get you, you know, and it's like it almost played as ridiculous as it had in that dream sequence. And it's like, they just, they could do more with that character. And, and that's always what's frustrating when, when there is a character that, um, that, that gives you those opportunities, right? Like for growth and for depth. And I I think I said growth, uh, for growth (laughs) and, and, and that you kind of like, you know, miss out on that and are like, no, we'll just have her be a villain instead. We'll give, you know, whatever. And to me, Tori is exactly what I mean about going back to that 1980s kind of attitude. Because you're right. right. It's still like yeah. the show seemed to be so much about bullies have, were hurt, too, and mm-hmm. heroes can become bullies. And mm-hmm. you're right. I hadn't even thought of it. But the first Karate Kid movie is so much about class. It's about yeah. Johnny being the rich kid and, and Danny being the poor kid. And season one, it's literally reversed. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. And, and then that's like I, the great thing about the show, kind of. Right. Like, right. But then, I mean, honestly, I walk away from the Sam Tory like, the way it's portrayed, and I don't think the show was intended to do this, but what it feels like they're saying is Sam's the better person because she had a better upbringing. 
Right. You know, she yeah, has more. It feels that not way. class isn't, but she's more classic. Like she's I know, not. I know what you mean. Yeah, and and just yeah, Tori could have had so much more to her. Um, you mentioned Hawk is like the character who has a major turn, and and I liked it, but I wanted more of that. I wanted to see, sure. as well as just like, dude, like you were the one who convinced them to come to this house and beat these people up. I mean, Kreese probably told you to, but you were part of the leaders. Right. So when you have the moment of we shouldn't be doing this, maybe you tell your buddies, let's not do this. You don't just suddenly start beating them up because they're doing what you told them to do. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Like, to me, I feel like I I actually really liked that part. Um, That Uh whole scene I thought was super stupid and just like they were like, we want another like battle royale scene. Right. And they're like, how are we going to do it? Okay, this is how we're going to do it. And the, for, through most of the scene, I was like, uh, and like, then I saw that and I was like, oh, here it comes. Cause like, I, I kind of knew it was coming. I was like, pretty sure because yeah. we'd seen it, right. We'd seen, he was kind of uncomfortable. Like, you know, he broke Dimitri's arm, but he clearly didn't want to. Yeah. It was and like, then, like, he questioned crease a little bit and he looked kind of askance at some things. Yeah. And then like, he didn't like that Robbie and this, you know, the, the, the new kids were like kind of getting a lot of the love and like mm-hmm. he was, you know, he wasn't like the big dog anymore kind of. And like, and I think he saw like all the people he was with just like beating up on these other kids. And it was like, this is stupid. Like, yeah. fuck this. And he was just like, I feel like hitting those people now. And I think he's, <laughs> like, he's just a very angry person, you know? And, yeah. like, he doesn't kind of know what to do with his anger. And he's had it channeled for him, right? Like, people telling him, oh, do this, do that. But, like, I think that was sort of him, like, being like, okay, I can kind of choose my own path. And I, I feel like if he told them to stop, they'd be like, they would, like, try and fight him then, you know? Yeah. And, like, it made way more sense to just go and, like, do, like, a flying scissor kick or whatever and hit both. I'm not sure if he did a scissor kick, but that would have been the coolest. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that, that was, that right. was the it, moment in that It fight is the thing he would do. I think it's a really stupid, fucked up thing to do. But I think you're right. It's what he would do. And sure. It felt like, like, it felt both legitimate but also that sort of same contrivance where they were like, how can we get it so that him and Dimitri can reunite and then do this badass double kick together. You right, know? right. Yeah. So they're like, okay, how do we... The same kind of thing. It was like, characters making decisions for their characters? Nah, fuck that. Um, I, I want to just mention one other thing that... Um, it's a small thing, but it really bothered me because of, again, how I feel like they were making Danny much more the hero than Johnny was. Um, yeah. And then let's get into the kind of main thing that I wanted to talk about of the, the way they think about morality, especially yeah. Johnny, early in the show. Um both of the characters are, you know, people who are now much later in life. And, you know, we have seen in the movies that they were romantic rivals at a much younger age. Right. And that they both have had romantic people in their lives. Mm-hmm. Danny goes to Japan and we're introduced to the, the person who was the romantic lead from the second Karate Kid movie. Yeah. And we are specifically told that she has never gotten married because who could ever compare to the man who rescued her? Oh, jeez. Yeah. That was such a conscious choice. And I think right. that was, like, they did that to make us start wondering, is he going to, like, be tempted to cheat on Amanda? Or even just, like, emotionally. Right. And then they like, have, like, their hands touch. Yeah. And, but then very clearly, that never happens. Mm-hmm. And 
the only reason to do that. Like, I kept wondering, like, why tell us she was single? Why even bother doing that if you're not going to show that he was tempted at all? And then we get to the last couple episodes yeah. where uh, Allie, the character who they had I mean, literally fought over in season one. Right. Um, I'm sorry, in the first movie, yeah. who somehow I missed was played by an Elizabeth Shue. Like, I'd oh, really? seen the actor as a teenager. Yeah. And yeah. then when I she the, I was like, oh, I wonder who the act who the actress wound up being. I was like, oh, it's Elizabeth Shue. I've seen her in a million yeah. things. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Like she's probably the biggest name in like I think she's had the best acting career out of anyone from that time. Um, uh, yeah, that seems. But but what is you know, and Johnny has quite literally just the night before finally connected with Carmen. They've gotten past their issues. They've slept together. It's this beautiful, wonderful thing. But he's the one who's tempted. Right. And he comes very close to kissing her. Yeah. And it's only because of the phone call. Right. And then later, like, I I want to believe that he at that point wasn't going to try again. But she completely lets him off the hook by she's mm. the one who says, like, tell me yeah. about Carmen. And I just it felt like one more way to be like, you know what? These are both heroes. But Danny's a little bit better. I agree. Um, I agree. I was very glad that they didn't end up going all the way that direction. Yes. But or to have, I was, like, Miguel to see it. And... Oh, that would have... Yeah, I just... I felt... I mean, honestly, I think my um, my sort of perception of the show is a little bit biased by how bad I thought the season could have ended. <laughs> how many bullets it dodged. Exactly. Like, th- not doing that, you know, and then not having... Um, Robbie didn't have permanent injury by him Robbie didn't have permanent injury, right, exactly. And then, like, you know, the, the fight sort of going the way of the, you know, Miyagi-Do and um, Eagle Fang karate uh, <laughs> kids. You know, like, it. that's sort of what I mean about lack of consequences, mm-hmm. where it, you know, I feel like they had room to end this season in a way that I would have hated so much. I don't think I would have watched season four. Yeah. And instead it's like, I'm not like eagerly awaiting season four, but like I'll watch it, you know? That's fair. Um, and I totally agree about both of the, you know, the, the returning love interests from Karate Kid one and two. And, um, you know, kind of sort of trying to show Danny as like sort of more like above everything in a way, you know? Right. Um, and I also just want to kind of tack on here that um, I think it's a good idea that they, they took the series to Japan for a couple episodes. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed parts of all that. Uh, I think there are some problematic aspects to the, you know, the representation as mm-hmm. well. I don't feel like overall the creators or showrunners or whatever have like a high level of cultural sensitivity. Yeah. You know, or like a really deep understanding and respect for martial arts i don't know i mean i could be wrong but it just doesn't totally read that way the the martial arts in terms of like where the styles come from does actually feel pretty legit now Mm -hmm. in terms of uh how they kind of explained all that but like you know Mm -hmm. the like the whole honor thing and like oh well in you know in japan we don't we don't think of someone as being gone in the same way that you do it's like i mean it's not that that's not necessarily like not true to some extent right i mean obviously people in different it it felt very othering it felt like you know here's this one person who can speak for this whole culture and look how different and exotic and you know other it is exactly exactly and and it's like i feel like they could have done something like that a little more gracefully probably you know and with a character who is like more of a character than like the bartender not that like a bartender shouldn't be a character 
but like the bartender wasn't really a character except for that line. Yeah. So, you know. No, yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you there. And it's, like I said, it, it it's the ways in which it was so frustrating because it would set up these stupid scenes that I didn't want, but that still were great, you know? Right. Um, having, um, you know, Allie take, Dan- Allie take Johnny to the same party that Danny mm. and Amanda are at. Mm. I was like, come on, I right. roll. Yeah. And then the scene with the four of them was honestly, I think, my favorite scene of the whole show. Or at it least of really the whole good. season. It was yeah, yeah. brilliant. It was the stuff yeah. I love. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a magic and a chemistry between all of them there. Um, and that that was the time when I, I felt, jeez, um, I can't even remember her name. Uh, Danny's Amanda? wife. Yeah, <clears throat> Amanda. Amanda. Yeah, Amanda. Like, I, I felt like she had her best moments there yes. as well, you know. Um, and and then, you know, and then I thought Allie was really great in that scene. And then Johnny, that was like when, like, Johnny and Danny, it felt like, Maybe they're actually gonna be able to get along at they some point. They finally made the breakthrough. They well, finally made, yeah. Well, that that was sort of the beginning of the breakthrough, but it, it right. set up the breakthrough, I think. Because I think so much of what that scene was about was what season one of the show was supposed to be about, and really, and it mostly was the idea of like when you're seventeen, the things that you care about seem so big and so strong, and the yeah. people you hate, you hate forever, and the people you love, you love forever, and then you grow up and you realize like it wasn't that big a deal. And right. like, I thought that was so brilliant. And, and especially because, and here was the one moment where like Danny wasn't perfect. And I really liked it when they talked about how Danny and Allie's relationship ended. Um, Cause oh, yeah. one of the tropes that I despise in TV shows about teenagers is how often um, the teenagers finally fall in love. who are supposed to fall in love. And then in the last scene, we flash forward and see them happily married 20 years later. Right. People sometimes marry their childhood sweethearts, and sometimes that works out very well. And if that's true, God bless you. I think it's very possible. I think it's also very rare. Yeah. And I think think there's a real power in showing, yeah, Danny got to have this romantic relationship because of the results of the movie – and it lasted a couple of years, and then it died out because they're still not perfect heroes. They're real people. Right. And I, lo- I thought that was at such a good moment. And, and again, it, just, it made me, again, just so frustrated for everything else. And I, mm. there's one other thing I want to bring up it, in this it, conversation. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it also cast him not as this, like, perfect hero, but as this, like, kind of dumb teenager who misunderstood the situation and jumped to conclusions and, you know, ruined his relationship because of it. And, yeah. You know. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. And I wanted you to circle back to what you said about consequences, because I think that's the... What you were saying about how it felt like this season didn't have real consequences, I think that was true. And I think if this was season two, I would have been a lot more okay with it. Mm. My problem was that the last part of season two was the moment where all of the things where it was sort of like, ooh, we don't like this because it could go bad. We see the danger. We want to avoid the danger. All that danger actually finally happened. Right. There was an all-out brawl in the school. Teachers got beaten up. A child got actually, like, almost paralyzed and seemingly, like, maybe would have died. Mm -hmm. Um, And I went into the season wanting to see the consequences of that play out. And it felt like the first couple of episodes, we were seeing the consequences of that playing out. And then they just totally gave up on that. 
Right. Um, and I think that's another thing of where I just sort of felt like either tell us, you let us believe in a happy world where there's no consequences yeah. or don't. But like, I don't think you can show me the fight at the end of season two and then can tell me there's still no consequences of all this. Right. I think that's very fair. Um, for me, I really didn't enjoy the presence of consequences because it's a that's show fair. that I don't, I don't take it seriously enough basically to want there to be stuff that's serious on a certain level and you know i mean okay a show that's centered around physical violence right both instigating it and defending oneself against it um you you know we could say maybe it's not super socially responsible to not show consequences right but I, i will reiterate that every time somebody actually has anything resembling consequences um, it's not from getting struck, right? Mm-hmm. Like karate is a striking art. It's it's about kicking and punching mostly, and you know knife hand strikes and fingertips and right. I you know there are grappling arts that are karate adjacent, and I don't I don't know how much of that actually exists within karate. Like taekwondo sort of has some of that, but mostly like my teacher would teach us hapkido, which is a different Korean martial art, which is more like, you know, sort of like judo, but not exactly. But whatever, I digress. Uh, The point (laughs) being, the times we see something resembling consequences are Tori attacks Sam with a weapon. Right. Right. Robbie hits Miguel. Miguel's not injured by getting struck. He's injured by falling off of a, a balcony. Right. And landing on stairs, right? Um, and then in this season, we see, uh, let's see, um, Robbie, it looks like maybe is going to be really seriously injured when he hits his head on a locker. That, right. that shit could kill you. Um, but like, so could a punch to the face, you know? Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's... in this show, if every fight had taken place on a mat in a room without like hard surfaces that you're going to knock into, like it would be much safer in that regard. Right. Exactly. And I mean, like granted, that's why we do our sparring on a mat in a room without hard surfaces. And we wear a helmet actually. So if we go flying and hit our head on a locker, we don't crack our skull open, but right. like, it's not for when you get hit really. But, um, but then th- there's, then there were two other instances where someone got hurt. Dimitri got his arm broken. Not by, I mean, I know people who've broken their arms by getting struck, right? I mean, I have a friend who actually broke his fist on my knee, uh, punching. And uh, don't ask me why he punched me in the shit. It was like the (laughs) upper shin. I was trying to kick him in the head. Um, It was hilarious. Uh, But he healed fine. But, uh, you know, I mean, I've seen a lot of broken bones in kicking and punching, right? Even with gear on. But like here, it was, he was motionless and then just broke his arm. Right. And that was really more grappling to begin with anyway. And then Kreese murders somebody by like stamping on his fingers so he falls into a, a cobra pit. Right. Basically. Yeah, you're right. It's never karate that, that delivers the fatal never, blow. Never. Ever. <laughs> and, and not even just a fatal blow, like a, a like long term damage. Right. Nobody's like, oh, I cracked my ribs or like right. I broke my foot or, oh, I broke my hand punching or like, Oh, they're, they got knocked out by getting kicked. Like, they get sort of dazed or whatever. But right. the thing is, it's like, you know, yeah, they're trying to play up that there's maybe some consequences. Maybe not play up. They're, like, playing around with the idea of consequences. But, you know, it's like your thing with Daredevil. Like, he can hit someone with a pipe and they're going to be fine. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but it's like comic book violence. And I think that, you know, 
just having your consequences only come from someone falling over a railing uh, doesn't really qualify as like showing the potential consequences of kicking and punching people, which, you know, exist. Well, and I wonder if like, it's funny, I hadn't picked up on that till you said it. And I feel like there's a very interesting message that the show could have been going for, except they didn't say it in any way, which is that if what the show was trying to say was karate is fine in a tournament, in a, on a mat, in right. the sort of environments that are set aside for karate. The problem is that the way that Crease and to some extent Johnny and, and to some extent Danny got these kids so fired up is that they're now taking karate out of those safe environments into mm-hmm. the real world where there are lockers and railings and hopefully not snake pits, but, you know. Right, 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 right. Like, we don't run into too many of those, like that except could, at, like, a Slash concert. Because, again, like, there was clearly an attempt to say there are problems with the culture of violence that, that martial arts can be a part of, but martial arts themselves are not the problem. Right. And I feel like that, the more I think about it now, I'm like, why didn't you... Like lampshade sure. that just a little bit because I think you could look at the show and say that's part of the message is like karate is great in the dojo in the tournament. It's yeah. the problem is that these kids start using it in the hallways, right? When the only time you should ever use it in the hallway is if someone else is you know instigating against you, and even then, like having some sort of grappling thing is probably less likely to cause real damage to someone else. Blah 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 blah. Right. But you know, um, there's a bunch here more we could say, but I really do want to turn us back to the topic that I, I first kind of convinced you to come on the show to talk about. Yeah, yeah. The thing that I really wanted to first get into, because after those first three episodes, I hated the show, but I was like, at least there's one concept here we can discuss. The rest of the show gave us a lot more to discuss, but I do want us to get back and, and really spend some time on this topic. And it's what I refer to as results-oriented morality. And, and what I'm talking about here is the moment where Johnny has spent two seasons learning to be better and seeing why he should be better and then he has this moment where he's tried to do the right thing and everything still falls apart on him and he he goes to this moment of saying well then why why should i ever bother and it's kind of almost a theological moment but certainly like a philosophical like the universe sucks why should i ever try to be better because look what happened um and and i think that that it fits into a conversation that paul you and i have been wanting to talk about in some episode for a long time so can you start just by setting up, like, what do we mean when we talk about results-oriented thinking and, like, having a results-oriented mindset to, to pretty much anything? Right. So I play poker for a living and have for a number of years. And uh, poker's an interesting game that I think can broadly be looked at as, like, a metaphor for, like, anything, pretty mm-hmm. much. But, uh, and in fact, I wrote a book called Way of the Poker Warrior, where it's sort of a metaphor for martial arts or vice versa or something. So it feels very appropriate here. But uh, it's like full circle. Um, well, but it's the, a great book. Oh, thank you. Um, it's probably available somewhere. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, the, <laughs> the point being, um, you know, in poker, the only thing we can do is look at the information available to us at the time, consider it. Consider whatever strategic principles we've we've internalized and we've learned and make the best decision we're able to make with the information we have available at the time. And that doesn't mean we're going to make the best decision possible. And even if we do make the best decision possible every time, which is like impossible, but even if we did, um, there's more cards to come, right? Like most poker games are like we have some cards 
and then there's going to be more cards out and we do some betting and then more cards come and then some more betting and then more cards come. And so like, we don't know whether we're going to have the best hand or not at the end of the hand. Right. And so results oriented thinking would be, oh, I did such and such. I took this action. I bet or I called or whatever I did. And then I lost the hand. So what I did must have been wrong. Right. Um, And people don't often see it that literally all the time, but they think like, oh, you know, every time I raise with aces, they just Mm -hmm. fold. So I'm going to stop raising with aces. It's like, no, there's reasons you should raise with aces most of the time, um, almost all the time. And those are independent of whatever the outcome is. It's because of the collection of possible outcomes, you know, you're you're making the best decision that's going to give you the best sort of a range, you know, range of outcomes. Right. And what we want to do instead is is focus on process oriented uh, thinking, where we're thinking, what's my process for making decisions? We go through that process, and then we evaluate later on, like, did I enact the process well? You know, um, is this the best process I can use, or can I improve my process? And we just focus on the process. And yeah, in the long term, we want to see results, right? Right. But the idea is we can't control the results directly. All we can do is influence them in the long run by having a solid process. And so we want to avoid really focusing on the results in the short term because they're not going to inform us uh, as to whether what we did was the best course of action or not. Yeah. And I'm so glad you described it that way. Um, it's it's thinking that I, I follow a lot too. It's used a lot in Magic the Gathering as well, um, yeah. understandably, because they're both at right, heart they're both card games, games about chance yeah. and about trying right. to do the best you can to manage mm-hmm. po- probability and things like that. And there's a lot of people who play both. And it's used in many other schools as well. And I, I never really kind of fully made this connection in, until these moments, really. But I, I feel like what, what Johnny goes into in that moment where he says, I did all the right things and still things didn't work out, is, is what I would refer to now as process uh, – as results-oriented morality, mm-hmm. you know, and that he's saying, well, I did these things and then the bad thing happened, so I shouldn't have done those things, which, you know, it, it's very results-based. It's based on, like, here's the thing. The problem with that kind of thinking being that there's so many other variables. And the reason why I wanted us to talk about it, and I want to hear, hear more of your thoughts about, like, what happens when we apply this to kind of ethics or morality or just, like, personal decision-making, is... I think this is a kind of thinking that is very, very prevalent and very easy to fall into. Um, You know, I think a lot of uh, villain stories, backstories, or just, you know, kind of why is someone kind of the jaded character that they are? It's because one time they trusted someone and that person turned out to not be worth their trust. And so they decided I can never trust people again. Or Mm -hmm. one time I tried to do the right thing and people took advantage of me and so I'll never do it again. Um and or sometimes it's it's not even about the morality. It's just about the, you know, I I I didn't think I did anything wrong. Why didn't things work out for me? Um, and there's a quote that goes around the internet quite often um, from Star Trek: The Next Generation, um, and it's where Captain Picard says, "It is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness. That is life." <laughs> um, yeah, and I love that quote, and. and the thing I think I liked most about this, sh- this this scene with Johnny is he has this conversation with a pastor and he's not saying it in a like that he thinks like, why didn't God make the right thing happen? But I feel like for a lot of us, you know, you could be totally not religious, but there's still some sense in the back of your mind of there being some kind of a, 
sense of justice in the universe. You know, like people when they're depressed or things like that, like they start asking, you know, why is the universe always shitting on me? Like I'm trying to do the right thing. Why is it always that the bad things happen to me? And of course, there's all sorts of cognitive dissonance that happens there because you're thinking you're missing all the thing, good things that happen to you and all the bad things happen to other people, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's, I mean, it's a very real psychological, philosophical, theological kind of thinking we can fall into of because I did the right things, things should work out. And part of why I like it from Johnny is for him, it's not a selfish thing. It's not, you oh, know, yeah. I pursued the girl in the right way. Why didn't I win the girl or that kind of, you know, awful incel thinking. It's I tried to do the best thing I could for these kids. Why is it working out so badly for the kids? Um and, and yeah, so I, just, I think he kind of gets past that to some extent. But I'm kind of curious how what, – what's your take on sort of the process of decision-making, uh, how he sees that and how we can – how he sort of results-oriented versus process-oriented thinking applies to what he's going through there? Yeah. First of all, I love that Picard quote. I've seen it before. I, I think I've seen it used in the context of poker, seen it used in the context of politics, chess, like all sorts of things. Yeah. It's so applicable to like life. Everything, yeah. Right, right everything. Um, I, I do think that's a super powerful, uh, moment with Johnny and, um, was it Dutch? Is that Dutch? I think, I think Dutch? it's a, yeah, I'll look it up while you're, while you're okay. talking. Yeah. It's, yeah, but it's one of, one of the, you know, one of his old, you know, karate buddies who's now a pastor and, um, has to explain that he's not a priest Bobby. and is not Bobby, so, Bobby, Bobby. Yeah. and um and ends up like sweeping him off his feet literally. Uh, <laughs> I want to just say one quick moment about that. As a former yeah. I've a lot of my pastor friends have all been talking about that scene because Oh yeah. Hollywood loves to believe that every Christian clergy person is <laughs> a Catholic always priest. Catholic. Always. always Catholic, even in like communities that should be clearly like very virulently anti Catholic. Right, right. Um they're, they always wear the collar. And, I mean, the whole time I was in seminary, I had people being like, wait, you can date? Like, is that allowed? <laughs> right, right, right. And I think just see a character and be like, no, that's not what all pa- – I just – it was made me so happy. And it's so right. many other pastors I know. But anyway, a go Nice on. little moment for representation. Also, um, like there was that moment – I thought of you when I saw that moment too. I was like, oh. There was, I will <laughs> I not mention any names here. But there's also a couple of folks I know who talked about, you know, some of the – the people in their congregation who they just have to love the hardest is the kind of language we'd use. And, okay. And they were like, yeah, watching uh, the pastor sweep the leg off of, you know, annoying person in their congregation was kind of a cathartic moment in some ways. Like, <laughs> like for some people seeing uh, the Bill Burr character shoot the com- former commanding officer and yeah, met- exactly. Oh, uh, wait, no. Oh, spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. Anyway. Yeah, so, just edit that part. So go on. So your, your thoughts on that scene, Bobby. Right. So... Something I thought was so powerful about that was it wasn't just Johnny being like, hey, I did the right thing. Like, why didn't I get this result I wanted? It was like, I did the right thing and taught him to do the right thing. And he did the right thing. Yeah. And still, and he didn't get the result that like he deserved, right? Yeah. And it's it's like this wanting there to be justice in the world. And um, personally, I don't know. I think I maybe have a little bit easier time having more process-oriented thinking, which isn't to say that I, I never fall into results-oriented thinking at all. But um, I, I think because I, like, I sort of have no worldview, like, in terms of, like, why. Yeah. You know, like, my view of the world is just like, yeah, this is what is. Like, I'm sure there's things we don't know about what is, but, like, 
I don't believe in justice. Like, I don't believe it exists. And actually, I find as a concept, it's kind of problematic. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm very much a subjectivist in terms of, like, my view of what what feels like justice to me is, like, subjective. And it's just what I want to see happen in the world. And I would... I would like things to be more like fair, quote unquote, but like, it's not, you know, it's not like some people die young, some people die old and some people die horribly and some people don't. And like, just all sorts of things like the world's a messy place. And I do believe that the better decisions we make um, in terms of both trying to achieve our goals, like in a, in a, whether it's in a selfish way or in terms of trying to help others and trying to kind of like put, you know, good into the world, like right. trying, trying to make, mm-hmm. um, make a world where, where people are better to one another and, and help each other more. And, you know, for me, like better to animals as well. Um, I think we can make the best decisions we can make. And by making those decisions, instead of making, you know, weaker decisions, I think we have a better range of outcomes. Yes. Right. But that's all we can do. All we can do is like shift the probabilities in our favor, but we can't tip the scale all the way to where it's like, yeah, hundred percent. It's like, we see all these, like get, you know, these like entrepreneurial um, success stories. right? Right. And almost every person who achieves great success kind of coming from from nothing or whatever, you know, in quotes, almost all of them worked hard, right? Mm-hmm. Like really hard and did a lot of the things that you need to do to put your yourself in a, uh, you know, a position to succeed. But I think then the danger, you know, this is like another danger of results-oriented thinking is seeing like, oh, that person worked super hard and they were super successful. So all you have to do is work really hard and you'll be really successful. And if you're not really successful, it's probably because you didn't work really hard. And that's a lie. That's, you know, the people we see who are tremendously successful, they worked hard and rolled good, yeah. you know? And like, often started with a good hand, you know? And whatever well, that, that's that's a whole separate thing. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and absolutely true, 100%, right? Uh, where you where you end up usually begins on where you start, uh, Everlast. But you're right. It's, it's um, often like, you know, catching lightning in a bottle. You know, right time, right place. The, exactly. The thing. And I, I mean, it's funny. Um, ever since I started the, my first podcast, at least three times a week, often more, I get an email saying, this person has a million li- downloads on their podcast, pay $50 to learn the, the, the secret tips right. that they have. You know, it's yeah. exactly that. It's like... They're, they're selling, if you do the exact same things this person did, you'll have the exact same results. Right. And that's just not how reality functions, right? Yeah. It's like you do exactly the same thing twice. This is why that Einstein quote actually drives me crazy. Like um, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting to get different results. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, or that that's right. Like that's that's not insanity. That's like persistence. Like, um, so, I mean – Doing the exact same thing infinite times after you've gotten like literally the same result uh, infinite minus one times or whatever. Um, okay, that's ridiculous. But like you can do the same thing, make the same effort repeatedly and you get different results over right. time. Right. And I mean, that's one reason that scientific experiments are like actually repeated and why something needs to be repeatable in right. order to be like provable. And well, I think part of that's because and I don't want to get too into the science here because I'm sure. by no means a scientist. Part of that's because the, 
on some level, you can never do the same thing exactly the same way. That's twice. true. That's true. And that's something Einstein fought against. Like he really didn't like this idea of you know God plays dice with the universe. Uh, right. Yeah. So yeah, just uh, but yeah, I think you're completely right about why that's a real problem with that with that idea. I think the the thing also this this brings up for me, and again, it, it's it's something I both like about the show, but also wish had been explored. Um. It's not just Johnny, as I think about it, who buys into this. It's everyone in Cobra Kai who stays with Reese, with Kreese. Hmm. Because in their mind, um, oh, yeah. Miguel showed Rob mercy. Right. Robbie took advantage of that mercy to attack when he was defenseless. And, and therefore, that proves that Miguel should never have allowed, have never showed mercy to begin with. Which is like... There's two huge variables there. One is the fact that Robbie took advantage of the act of mercy, which by no means I think is is always going to be the card that comes up on the deck. For sure. They could have ended up great friends. Yeah. And also that maybe nine times out of ten that that card does come up, the next card is Robbie kicks Miguel really hard. Miguel, you know, falls back a couple feet and the fight starts again. Right. Like it's that Miguel did the act of mercy – to a kid who wasn't ready for the act of mercy and in a situation where when he wasn't, something horrible happened. And like, when you think about it, that's really dumb thinking. And that's horrible. I don't think we ever confronted that. Did we? There was never a moment where someone like had to step away from, wait a minute, this, this isn't because Johnny taught Miguel to do the right thing. Right. There's one thing that I imagine Johnny would have taught Miguel that maybe he didn't like, but this is just super, um, you know, maybe you watch Million Dollar Baby and you learn the lesson, but like you don't let your guard down. Yeah. Like mercy doesn't mean dropping your guard and like being like, oh hey, yeah, we're we're good, right? Oh shit, I just got kicked over the railing. Like, you know, you can be like, okay, we good? You know, like yeah, you can walk let's... away with your hands in a defensive position, not literally it's... turn your back. Exactly. Like backpedaling is a thing, although don't backpedal towards the stairs and fall <laughs> down. But like, you know, it, I mean, it was it was like Miguel actually did something wrong. Like he was in a fight and then he showed mercy, which is fine and appropriate. But then he totally dropped his guard, which is inappropriate. So, you know, I it's like, does that mean he deserved to be kicked over the railing? No, of course not. But it means that he could have handled this situation a little bit better. And neither of those things are ever addressed. And I feel like that's, again, the sort of thing where if the show wanted that to be a thing, they could have talked about it. They could have said, oh, for sure. Coach, you, you taught us to go 100 and then you taught us to go zero. Why did yeah. you never tell us how to go 50? Right. But exactly. instead, it just felt like the show didn't care about that. It just wanted to put Miguel in the hospital so it contrived this idea that Robbie could do this in a way that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, um, I, I would actually like to get into the Miguel recovery thing. Oh, as a disabled I, person, I might have a few things to say about this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, go for so, it. What do you want to talk about? Right. So um, I, I found it uh, after because of how ridiculous the end of season two was. Mm hmm. And, like, my feelings about that, going into the season, I really wanted Miguel to be okay. In a kind of like, you know what, we went a little too far, season two, we're going to pull back, that kind of thing? Yeah, kind of like, okay, he's in the hospital, and then he woke up, and, like, he's fine. He's got some bruises, whatever. Um, And, 
you know, they could have gone that direction, right? They didn't want to. They want higher stakes, always higher stakes. I mean, when I saw the tagline, this season, higher stakes than ever, I'm like, but what I liked about this show was that the stakes were so low, yeah. you know? Um, but, but once it was clear that Miguel was seriously injured, right, and may or may not ever walk again, uh, I thought, you know, first of all, Actually, having him not recover could have been a compelling plot line. Yes. And and having everybody kept saying like, oh, but, you know, you're so strong. Like, you'll definitely beat this. You know, like, you'll be fine. Like, I, I do believe that if you believe in yourself and you make the maximal effort at recovery, you'll have the best range of outcomes. Mm-hmm. But that will still be a range of outcomes. Like you can't just willpower yourself, willpower yourself past, you know, paralysis, right? That's not a thing. And, and so I really enjoyed, um, him and Johnny working together and kind of sort of, especially the moments that kind of showed Johnny being a dumbass. Yeah. You know, and stubborn about it and whatever. And I really enjoyed their interplay. But, like, there was a part of me that was like, what if Miguel doesn't recover? And, like, but he has to recover emotionally. And he has to learn to live with it. And Johnny has to learn with to live with it. Like, I feel like that actually could have been a really compelling storyline. For sure. I, I, I really agree with you there. And I, as I said, I, I'm, a, I'm a disabled person who spent a long time in the hospital thinking I would never walk again. I mean, for me, I was never paralyzed. It was just about my, my mental state and things like that. And really, I mean, learning how to walk on a prosthetic leg or learning how to use crutches was a very long, slow process. There is a factor of the motivation, you know, and I will say I went to one of the best rehabilitation centers in the world, uh, Rusk in New York city, and they kicked my ass. And Mm -hmm. I've had experiences with the kind of hippy dippy, like, the therapist who we see in this, who's like, oh, no, right. everything's flowers and rainbows. You're great. And I liked them kind of dunking on that person a little bit. Okay. And I liked Johnny pushing Miguel. Yeah. But here's the thing. Both of those times that Miguel fell should have put him back in the hospital for three months. Right. Because he's still in that very fragile healing state. And I do think yeah. that, like, Johnny putting Miguel in situations where he could fall like that was actually incredibly dangerous. And a, yeah. a, a talk with a friend of mine really helped kind of remind me of that. Because first I just wanted to look at how great it was that he was encouraging. I was like, no, there's a real danger there. Right. The other thing was, I I agree with you. I think it would have been great if he, you know, I'm not great for him, but I think there would have been something powerful about him staying in the wheelchair. I also think what I thought they were going to go was, okay, he's going to walk again a little bit, you know, like the the toe tapping moment at the concert. That was so good. Like, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And then when like, when Miguel starts getting, shout out to D Snyder. Yeah. When, when, yeah, we want to rock. Um, and when Miguel starts like helping Johnny with Facebook, like that's, that's the stuff of the show. Uh, I love, priceless, you know, priceless. so good. And what I thought they were then going to go to was a moment where Miguel was able to walk again, but you know, it's going to take him a year to completely recover or whatever it is. Right. And everyone in his life is like, yeah, this is going to be slow. This is going to be hard. And you don't, you dare get yourself in a karate ring again. And then, right. when, and then when he started to kind of like bond with Sam a little bit and they started talking about the tournament, I was like, okay, so maybe he's going to kind of be like kind of a coach, you know, or kind of a like, mm-hmm. he's going to, like, everyone's going to look to him and then he's going to have like, he's going to go to the dojo once and then realize he can't. And they'd be like, 
you know, Sam, you need to do this for me or something like that. Having him take part in the fight just felt so unauthentic for that reason. Um, right. It, it just felt it, it was the consequences thing. And I it's funny. I feel like the show. I would have been happy if they had been like, no, the super huge fight happened. Huge consequences. You would have been happy if they'd said, eh, it really wasn't that bad a fight. We don't know what you're talking about. Hand wave, hand wave. Everything's right. back to normal. Yeah. Instead, they kind of went into like have all the emotional power of the consequences. And then once you'd felt all the emotional power of the consequences, <laughs> have all the consequences go away. Totally. And totally. that's just so emotionally manipulative. I'm like, that's just I bad agree. writing. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd said several times that I feel like they're basically like when they write these, they're like, these are the points we want to hit. Right. These are the scenes we want to have. How are we going to get from point A to point B? We'll just come up with something and not stress it too much. Yeah. I also didn't love that. Sam won her fight against Tori. Um, I mean, Sam, honestly, she kicked. She was the first person to kick somebody over a railing. and I thought Tori was going to be the one who got paralyzed. Sam beat Tori. Right. And Tori used a weapon on her. And I don't for a moment want to discount how traumatizing and scary that would be for Sam. Miguel got put in the hospital and almost never walked again. And on that level, like, I mean, he did win the fight right. until he lost it. Yeah. Having the... Mi- I think it's, I mean, it's just two characters, and so, like, we could see mm-hmm. it being two different people. Yeah. But especially no, I, I since it. Sam grew up with karate in a way that Miguel didn't, having Miguel be pretty much emotionally fine about it and Sam be the one who's very traumatized by it, it the gender thing felt wrong, the... The fact that Sam's trauma, like, I mean, you, you mentioned Amanda having a good moment. I felt most of the whole season she was so lost. You know, she had that great moment yeah, at the end sure. of season two where she says, no more karate. This is done. And I felt like the moment Danny started saying, like, yeah, she just needs karate again. Amanda should have been like, fuck no, we're getting her to a therapist. Right. She has had a, yeah. like, she's having panic attacks. This is not a yeah. kick more moment. Right. Like, you can have your use some karate to help her overcome some stuff. But like, she still needs to go to a therapist and like Amanda should have been the one who insisted on that. And that should have been a thing, you know? I mean, of course, then they probably would have had the therapist been some like sort of hippy dippy, whatever that they would have made fun of. And then they would have had karate be the real solution. And it probably wouldn't have been great, but uh, it should have been a thing. Yeah. It would have been nice to have at least some. And, And so let's talk about that. Um, you know, in the last episode, you know, I I was kind of coming from a position of, like, I'm hesitant about martial arts at all. And I think you kind of gave a very good argument for, like, you know, no, martial arts can be a healthy thing and a good thing. And that sometimes punching the bully is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like in the, the first two seasons, it did really strike a good balance of that. This season, I felt like they went so far the other direction of, like, the only way to deal... Like, schools can't help bullying. Teachers can't help bullying. Parents can't help bullying. The only way to stop bullying is to beat up the bullies. And, you know, Sam was super aggressive and, like, led this squad to go attack the Cobra Kai kids. No consequences at all. We never talk about that being a bad thing. Um, I'm curious what your thought of uh, the way they sort of portrayed, like karate being the answer entirely to to bullying and all of these problems uh i mean i think it's it's tough it's like there's definitely these teachers i mean you've got this super super toxic teacher right 
who's basically just telling his kids that he's not telling his kids how to fight back against bullies. He's he's literally telling them directly to be bullies or to, you know, be aggressive and like mess up other people and whatever. Right. Um and I I I felt a little bit like this show was almost like trying to put people off the notion of like defunding or abolishing police. Yeah. Because there's just like, where are they? <laughs> like, don't the LaRussos have like an alarm system? Like that would like call the police, like when the windows get broken, like of all you know, the places where I think you might have a security guard, I'm going to say a juvenile detention center. Like seriously, well, they be- had one, and they they kind of a little bit showed that like the security guard didn't like the one guy, and so he right. kind of maybe was going to just let things go. But yeah, you'd think they'd probably step in a little faster. But yeah, no, but I think you're right. I mean, it's it almost was making that point, but it also wasn't. Like it was just. Yeah, yeah. There were so many moments in the show where, like, Mary and I, my partners, we watched, were like, okay, this is, like, they have now broke, they have broken into his house. Why is Danny going to crease to threaten him? He should just, like, multiple felonies have now been committed, you know? Right. This is Southern California, the land where people, like, where, this is the land where some parents sue their school if their teacher doesn't get a good enough grade. The idea that Cobra Kai wouldn't have been sued out of existence out of that fight and Miyagi-Do and all of them is like... Oh, you mean after the school fight? Yeah. After the school fight and after some of the other things. Like, it just... It felt, again, like that very 1980s idea of, you know what? None of the parents are paying attention. The kids are just going to fight and fight and fight. No one's ever going to stop them. And maybe that was somewhere true in the 1980s. That's not true today. I... Right. You know, I, I found it much harder to believe for that reason. Yeah, I mean, I think fights have fights now have more consequence in terms of like legal consequence and entanglements. And mm-hmm. I think there was a time when you could just be like, "Do you want to step outside?" and people would go fight, yeah. and then it's like, okay, then they would go on about their business, and like someone someone would get beat up, and someone would do the beating up and whatever, and and. Yeah. Uh, I think that's not as prevalent now. I mean, I do know people who've gotten into bar fights in the oh, yeah. past 15 years or so. And like, there were no cops or anything. But like... I'm not saying that doesn't exist. I'm saying yeah. at the fairly... Like, at the public school in the fairly nice neighborhood of the San Fernando Valley in LA, in California, that's where yeah. I have trouble believing it, you know? Yeah. I, I feel like they just... I mean... Even just, like, where are any adults most of the time? Yeah. You know, it, and it's weird because in the beginning, in the first few episodes, it feels like the teachers are everywhere and they're like, we're watching you. You know, you kids don't touch each other or whatever. And then I feel like they kind of just dropped that. And maybe it's because all the altercations took place outside of school mm-hmm. after that point to an extent. But, you know, in terms of, like, violence being like the only answer to bullying or whatever um or it being portrayed that way i don't know um i i i don't think the show overall does a great job of you know it's sort of like this one school is like strike first strike hard no mercy and the other school's like only use karate for self-defense but like i feel like there isn't a lot of nuance there right right well what do you mean self-defense? Like, and also, you know, I mean, not to mention the fact that Sam just went and basically started some shit, right? right? And 
and then was never held accountable for that. And nobody mentioned that she started it. Priest like, did for half a second, and then no one cared. Right. Yeah, exactly. For half a second. Everyone's like, whatever. And, like, maybe, you know, maybe it's believable that they wouldn't believe him or whatever. But, um... Yeah, I mean, she... she I and mean, that's one of the most Cobra Kai actions that... And, yeah. And, like, it's only because more Cobra Kais show up that they lose that fight. Um, right. And, but, so the other the other thing, though, is that, like, the the idea of, like, proportional response... Right. Right. That like they don't they don't talk about that kind of because it's all sort of comic book violence. But it's like um, and this actually the, the, the most the most important moment, I think, in this regard was the Robbie Johnny fight, actually, mm. um, where you were asking, you know, you're like, did it look like, you know, Johnny kind of lost it for a minute and that was really his fault? Or was it just sort of something that happened? And, um, you know. That's the situation where, you know, we have one fully grown man, we have a teenager who's, you know, athletic, but is, I mean, apparently he's a white belt. I don't really understand with the belts, like, they're all white belts, except then I think they wore black belts at the time. I don't know. No, it's, no, you, it's... You're forgetting one, though, very important. Some of them are very, like, white belts, not very skilled. Some are black belts. Dimitri has a plot belt. He always has the exact karate skill that's needed for that moment of the plot. Oh, right. Exactly. Exactly. No, what I meant is literally when they're wearing belts, there's like no clear belts. No, I, I just want to make but, that joke about Dimitri yeah. at some point. And then that was a no, that was yeah, plot, plot belt. <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> um, he, yeah, exactly. He's got the most just like he knows exactly how much karate is necessary for the plot at any given point in time. But, you know, when, you know, I mean... Johnny obviously has a lot of experience, right? And Robbie has some. And he's right. talented. But it's like Johnny has so large an edge in experience when he's like, I'm not going to fight you. And it's kind of like, I'm not going to fight you because you're my son, right. right? But it's like he really shouldn't, you know, be using his full force, yeah. right? Against against a kid. And he shouldn't have in the first episode of the whole series either. But um, you know, the, the, the point kind of being like, uh, when somebody comes at you with everything they have, like, you can't just stand there and be, I mean, you can, right. You can just be like, okay, if you're going to beat me up, you can. And then that's on you. Right. right. And that's, that's legit. If that's your personal decision. Right. Um, I would say you have a right to defend yourself, but like, if, if a kid comes and tries and hits me with their fists, I'm not going to just like lay them out. Right? Like, I'm going to use some sort of technique or whatever that's going to keep them from injuring me. And, it, you know, it depends on the size of the kid or whatever. Yeah. But, like, so, so Johnny block. there... You're not going to hit back. But the blocking might hurt. Yeah, no, I mean, they might they might break their hand on my leg. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> Um, no, even, the, even then, like, I'm, I'm okay hitting a kid. Like, I'll kick him in the leg or something. I, I mean, we're talking, there's like different sizes of kids, right. right? But like, what I'm saying is like, it depends on, is somebody a threat to you, right? Like, when we were looking at that scene, or when I was re-looking at it, I was thinking about Don Zimmer charging Pedro Martinez. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and there's this brawl in, uh, was it like 2003? Or For those of us who are not sports fans, by the way, this is about a gentleman who's probably in his 70s, not in good shape by any means, charging a professional baseball pitcher in very good shape. Right. Pedro but that Martinez 70 did year not old, have much reason to be afraid in that moment. That, that 70 year old was a former professional athlete from Brooklyn. Yeah, also so, true. I'm just putting that out there. And he charged 
headlong right at Pedro. What did Pedro do? He basically sidestepped him and kind of like, you know, flung him to the ground a little bit. Right. Personally, I think that was a completely appropriate response. And he got crucified uh, in the press. It, exactly, which I thought was completely ridiculous. Somebody was charging at him, trying to get, do him harm. Now, yes, he had an age advantage. And I mean, Pedro Martinez, though, was a very small baseball player. Like, let's not ignore that. And he has very limited parts of his body that are worth tens of millions of dollars in terms of performance. Also true. So, like, he really can't go get in, getting injured by the 70-year-old charging at him. So, he didn't strike him, you know. He didn't, like, put him in a headlock. He just kind of got out of the way and let him fall down. And that was really similar to what Johnny did to Robbie. Johnny kind of threw Robbie a little bit. And he should have the situational awareness to understand there's a locker over there. Right. You really shouldn't be throwing him. You should probably be taking him to the ground and putting him in like an arm bar or something to like restrict him. But, um, you know, it, it was something where he was trying to defend himself in a way that wasn't going to cause damage to his assailant. And it basically deflected deflected him in a way that he ended up injuring himself on the you know surrounding environment and it seemed appropriate to me he could have done a better job of it but you know and you know to just circle back to like definitely defund the police um 100 (laughs) but like the biggest thing to me is like if we're gonna have police the most important thing which like that's a whole thing right but if you're gonna have police it's super critical that any level of violence is never met disproportionately right in in my personal opinion and i mean i even am of the like opinion like if you're going to have people i mean to some extent you need to have some people who are going to deal with people being violent right? right and i don't believe those should be people that do all the jobs that we have police do now. I think that should be a totally different thing. But I think you should be extremely trained in, like, grappling martial arts. Like, in ways of disarming people, in ways of de-escalating situations. Obviously, there's tons of things that a person can do socially right. in this regard, right? But, like, once once it's clear that there's going to be violence because one person is physically attacking another, it's essential that... You know, anybody, but especially agents of the state, are using the minimal amount of force possible to defuse a situation, to defend themselves. And and that's honestly, that's going to put them at greater risk than they would be either. But in my view, it's like, if that's the job, that's the job. And you have to make sure yeah. people are compensated for that. But No, I, I mean, I think right now with policing, there's a sense of overwhelming deadly force is allowed to prevent any possibility of harm to an officer. And I, I don't want to see cops killed, but I, I think that that incredible overbalance is, is a huge part of, as well as the racism and I, eight million other problems. Right. It, exactly. There's, there's tons of additional problems. But, but to but pull like, it back to this, I think, and again, here, I feel like there's an interesting story that could be told that I don't think they're going to say, which is, yeah. Given what you're just talking about, the de-escalation techniques Cobra Kai probably would never teach that. Like, I would fully oh, believe yeah, a story yeah. in which Johnny never learned to do that. And he was doing his absolute oh, best. of course. Yeah. But it, it, it's to me, it's one of those control. I, I feel like they wrote it in a way that they now have a complete open book. And they can kind of see what kind of feedback they get after the season and what mm. people want, where they want to go, yeah. and just make their own decisions. And they can write it as, Robbie got hurt. It's part of why he's now mad at Johnny, but no one blames Johnny. 
Or they can write it as Johnny lost control. Robbie has every reason to get mad at him. You know, Johnny and uh, Robbie and Danny reconnect, you know, and so like they, they left it enti- entirely open, I think. And yeah, I think so. I think it's frustrating because I do think you're right. I feel like I really liked watching him like just block and and here's the other part of the, the, the martial arts idea is, and this actually goes to the cop thing. One of the things that we talk about so often is one of the problems with police violence is that you are trained to just instinctually always respond with violence to protect yourself. Right. And so another direction you could take the story is that, I mean, Johnny was fighting his instincts so hard to not fight yeah. back, to not hit back. And like, Everything he was trained was they attack you. Like, if you're not going to kill them, just push them aside. Right. And that can lead to an interesting story of, like, is that a problem? That's a problem of how karate is taught in that particular dojo. Um, mm-hmm. oh, I mean, I would, I could see that being a lot of what kind of he learns from Danny. Yeah. And I could see Danny maybe learning some things from him as well. Yeah. Like, I, I'm curious how that will work of the, the joint dojo. I... I really need the two of them to be equals, you know, like what you were saying before mm-hmm. about Danny just always seemed a little more right. Um, yeah. And I will say that to kind of put a bow on this whole conversation about like karate and the, and the ethics of it and all that. I think I'm a lot more hesitant about it than you are. And, and certainly this show makes me think like, get rid of martial arts entirely. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think that's the well, case, but like, yeah, it's certainly not a fair representation <laughs> of the entirety of martial arts. If I was in that city council meeting, I'm voting to shut down the tournament too, even though I didn't think about it and realize that's a ridiculous overreaction. And yeah. it's partly because, and this is something There's you pointed schools. out a couple of times, <laughs> Miyagi-Do and Cobra Kai are probably not the only two Cobra schools in the entire San Fernando Valley. Um, right. They're, yeah, they're, they're not the only karate schools in the Valley. I mean, in fact, they didn't even exist like three years earlier. Right. right? And we see that there are all these other schools that go to the tournaments. And yeah. like in that karate scene, there was so much that was bad about that council scene. I mean, like the speeches that oh, Miguel yeah, yeah. and Sam gave were so well, dumb. Speeches. And, and, and also like Danny and Danny and Johnny yelling at Crease for lying in order to make the case that they want to make. I was like, yeah, strategy, strategy here. <laughs> yeah, just let the man talk. He's clearly good at lying. <laughs> Eyes on the just let him do the work for you. But I feel like, honestly, if I had been in that city council meeting, what I would have seen, and I, I hoped the show was going to do this, but then it didn't, is to say, listen, karate isn't the problem. Men who are still living out their high school rivalries and using their students to try and win their high school fights is the problem. So any student who is in no way connected to Danny or Johnny or this crease guy, you're all welcome to the tournament. Like that would have made. And then you can get some interesting stuff about like how much of this is about these adults bringing their stupid rivalries and poisoning their kids against each other in all these different ways. Um, Right. Or, like most of it, I think. Yeah. I mean, or, I mean, you keep talking about other Asian representation, like having some other, and they don't have to be Asian by any means, but they could have been, having some other martial arts school at that city council meeting. Yeah. And like, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. My students don't beat people up. We just practice karate and help little old ladies across the street and, you know, do whatever the hell we do. Um, <laughs> They're not like Boy Scouts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we're going to embellish a little bit for the city council. I, I would, I really kind of wish there were like, a queen's gambit of martial arts. Yeah, I could see that. You know, like a show that's like 
very very well informed in terms of like having expert martial artists advising i mean i don't know i i don't know exactly everything that goes into the series uh but i you know i it doesn't have the level of authenticity that like the queen's gambit did to me mm-hmm. um and i'd say I, I know martial arts at least as well as i know chess but um and i don't think that's the problem sometimes things you know better like seem worse right you know what i mean but um, I think I know enough chess and, and I've like heard from grandmasters, you know, who are like, yeah, it was fantastic. The chess is super legit, except for like one goofy line. Right. But like, um, but also just has a really compelling story. And, you know, there's, I feel like there's good stuff in Cobra Kai, but you really need to kind of wade through some other stuff. Yeah, to be sure. To, you know, enjoy it. Yeah. I think that's kind of all the big topics. I wanted to take some minutes just to kind of touch on some of the other, like, just little stuff that, that seemed to be ridiculous or kind of sure. problematic. Um, unless, do you do any more on those kind of big topics we've been touching on? Uh, yeah, but I'm tired. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> I don't have any more coherent <laughs> thoughts right now. I think there was one that was sort of circling through my head. If it comes back, I'll let you know. I'll, but I'll run through a couple of them. Let's go with some short, um, yeah. I'll ding if yeah. I have a... I, I, First of all, just I, I'm okay with a world in which karate is presented as one of many alternatives. I just hated this whole idea that it's presented as the only way. And I felt like it was so incredibly responsible for Danny to be like, yep, that's that's Miyagi-Do. We got to fight back. We got to um, – Right, right. For Sam to never get into therapy, for Hawk to never get into therapy. Um, I mean, where were the parents in any of this? Um, right. Definitely something I kept asking myself. And then there were just a lot of these little moments that just it you put a while ago, I mean we're talking like probably 10, 15 years, you really got me thinking about the idea of the difference between a character doing what makes sense for that character versus a character doing the thing that would advance the plot. And yeah. the contrivance of setting up conflict just to have the conflict. And if a show starts that way, I'm like, fine, this is not a great show. I think it just to get me so invested in characters like Miguel and Robbie and Johnny and Danny and, and to not pay that off, you know, to have Danny, Danny narked on Robbie. Like we don't talk, we haven't talked about oh. this much, but like yeah. Robbie's in this difficult situation. Danny's so concerned about him. And then Danny literally calls the police on him and yeah. We were talking before about how there should be more security guards in Juvie. And, like, I want to be very clear, that's not a good thing in general. Like, breaking up fights, sure. But, like, Juvie is awful in Mm -hmm. every part of the country that I've ever heard of. Maybe there's one perfect one in some small town in Vermont. Even there, I doubt it. Um, (laughs) And, like, for Danny to do what he did, I mean, honestly, like, Robbie being white makes it a little bit not quite as terrible. Although... Then having it be all people of color who are beating up on Robbie in the in Juvie no, was like that was so bad. Come on, but so like bad. he's endangering Robbie's life to do that, and yeah, it's true. I feel like Danny never paid any consequences for that. You know, Danny never paid any mm. consequences. For, Sam never paid any consequences for starting well, the fight. I mean, Robbie's not talking to him anymore. Sure, but, but I think it's that's presented as like you know, Crease is poisoning Robbie, and which also just oh. The fact that, like, season one, Miguel was the good guy. Season two, Robbie was the good guy. Season three, Miguel's the good guy again. It's just like... Yeah, I know, I know. 
it's it, it to me it's like they're trying to take their concept of like hey let's take the idea of like good guys and bad guys and kind of turn it on its head by having johnny lawrence be the intact you know the protagonist right. and having danny larusso be the 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 antagonist and it's like that was a great idea yeah. you know and it was a great basis for a show and they did a lot of good stuff with it and they continued to do some good stuff with it but they kind of really got away from that in terms of danny being an antagonist mm-hmm. and they just have these kids kind of flipping back and forth flipping allegiances and it feels like that's like their gimmick to an extent yeah. and you know people change and Everyone does some good stuff, some bad stuff. I mean, what's good and bad depends on who you ask. And, like, it's all complicated. And it's cool to have, like, characters have change of hearts, right? But it's a lot better when, you know, when you believe that that's the thing they would do. Right. Which, you know, I bought it with Hawk. You didn't as much, right? Or you felt like they needed to do some more work there, which I think is fair. Um, but like, I, I felt like they, to- they showed me point A and told me he would get to point C. They didn't okay. show me how he got to point C. Uh, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, uh, you know, for me though, it's just, it's like, yeah, I want, I want a character to do the things that when they do it, I go, of course, that's what they would do. Right. Right. Like not even just like, oh, I could see them doing that. But like, yeah, that just makes sense. You know? There's like a few moments in the Justice League animated set series where Batman does something where I'm like, that's the most Batman thing he could have possibly done. Yeah. And that's one reason I adore that series. Like this series, characters do stuff that like the things between Miguel and Johnny with like Facebook and stuff. Those were things that felt like that's what Johnny would do. Right. You know, that's how Miguel would respond to him. Like it felt right. Uh, their dynamic, their chemistry is so good. But a lot of the rest of it, you know, I mean, it's just it just feels like the characters are there to serve the plot, yeah. whereas the plot should really be there to serve the characters. And like, I'll give it, in my opinion. And I think it's again one of the reasons why I'm frustrated by things like the save the car uh, dealership and then his trip to Japan. Because right, the payoff for the trip to Japan is great, but part of my frustration was they kept adding new storylines and new storylines, and Ali is going to come in and. <clears throat> he's going to go to Japan and now we care about these other kids. And also we're going to go to Vietnam with Kreese is I felt like it meant that a lot of the stories that I wanted to, you know, they showed us point a, they showed us point D B. Then they got us to point X and, and didn't tell us, they didn't show us how they got mm. there. And I'll one that we haven't talked about at all because it's so quick. You blink and you miss it is Yasmin returning and getting together with Dimitri. Oh, yeah. And like, yeah, that's a, Think about how much time we spent on our last episode about Cobra Kai talking about the way Yasmin is attacked and yeah. how we had a lot of real thought concerns about that. And yeah. clearly she's back. And it, I mean, she just jokes about like the front wedgie she got. And so maybe it was not as impactful for her as we thought it could be. And I mean, that, that's right. fine. The, the sexual assault she suffered. Right. The, you know, not that sexual assaults ever deserved, but she definitely deserved some sort of. Something. Yeah, I mean, we talked about how she deserved something. We we were questioning whether that was that was over response, you know, which right. public, it's never questioned. Like, and I think we're supposed to think that that experience helped her to recognize like that <gasps> the the way she's treating people like Dimitri is wrong, right? But it's so like ABC's after school special, you know? Yeah, she bullies Dimitri. 
Then she realizes Dimitri is kind of cool. Then she's making out with yeah. Dimitri. Like, right. And I, I kind of liked that, mm-hmm. but I feel like it would have needed another 20 minutes to like sell me on it, really. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Um, I also found like Aisha's complete absence from this season, like not, not the best. Like she was one of the characters I really liked. I I think so, and I, I do wonder maybe that's also the actress didn't want to come back. I mean, I have no idea. Yeah, I think there was something with the producer. I I, for, I didn't I didn't really look yeah. into it, but it it's probably one of these things. I felt like, on some level, I want I love the character of Aisha. I thought she was very interesting. I did feel like they kind of didn't know where to go with her by the end of the last season. Yeah. Um, but also I felt like, honestly, her not being there felt 100% believable in the way I wanted to see more of. Like, she had parents who had a lot of social capital and were fairly involved in her life. They were like, yeah, that's true. whoa, we closed our eyes for 10 seconds and you got involved in this, like, gang. Fuck this. We're moving across the country. We're starting, <laughs> like... I kind of wanted to see, like, three quarters of the kids who were in that fight have parents who did something like that, you know? Um, yeah. But, like, I would then want her to still be a character in the show. Yeah. Who doesn't do karate anymore, you know? Even if it's like, just, like, she and Sam are emailing every now and then, you know? And, like, we just get her voiceover, sure. like, reading the emails she's sending back to Sam. Yeah, like, some kind of connection like that. Yeah, or, or like, you know, they get lunch or something, right. you know? Particularly when Sam's trying to figure out her shit. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think that could have been good. Uh, and I honestly, like, Aisha could talk to Sam, but especially Aisha could have talked to Tori. Like, that could have given Tori so much more depth to have her there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think about yeah. that. Anyway, we are um, closing in on very, very early in the morning time. Um, you're even past midnight now by a good deal. I'm at about three in the morning. Um, yeah. I think I've said about anything. Well, I, I can spend a long time just ranting about the show, but that's not what this podcast is about. Um, any other kind of last comments that you want to make or, or wrap up statements? Um, yeah, I guess just to sort of summarize, like I sort of enjoy slash hated season three, <laughs> That's you know, I mean, I think, I think I pretty much said that I, it, it's sort of one of those things like where it's satisfying to see a representation of a part of my life in a way. Um, but on the other hand, it's also frustrating to see sort of the way it's represented. And, um, you know, there is a lot of bullying, even like within martial arts, that's a thing. But at the same time, I do think it gives people a lot of confidence to not be bullied and not even just like fighting back, but just like having confidence. Right. You know, I think that's one of the biggest things. And, um, uh, the, oh, the one point that I did want to make earlier that I didn't make was when you were talking about Miguel's recovery mm-hmm. kind of being so rapid, being kind of unrealistic or like super unrealistic. Um, I I broke my foot one time doing Taekwondo, breaking boards. Right. And um, which was there's a story there, but uh, it was very cold <laughs> and I was doing a kick I wasn't supposed to do until like two belts later or a belt later. And I was like, whatever, I'm going to try it now. And I broke the boards, but I broke my foot too. And, you know, I went back and my teacher's like, yeah, tape it up and get back in there. Um, <laughs> so I taped it up and I got back in there, but you know, I wasn't fighting people right away. And there was a tournament, I think five weeks after I broke my foot mm-hmm. 
And my doctor was kind of like, yeah, you can maybe walk on it a little bit after two weeks, right? So it was like two weeks on crutches, which included like taking the crutches up to the third floor of the Do- Dojang, because <laughs> um, it's Korean, um, in Manhattan. And, uh, and then I fought in the tournament. Because I had this just immense feeling of, like, missing out, yeah. you know? And, like, I really wanted to get back in there. And my teacher's like, yeah, it'll, it'll be fine. Um, and so then I kicked someone in the elbow, as happens in Taekwondo. And I broke my foot again. Yeah. And <laughs> so then I was on crutches again. Uh, and I'd say the top of my foot hurt for the next, you know, couple years, probably, on and off. Maybe even longer. It's fine now. Yeah. But... You know, that was a fairly minor injury. In terms of, like, I say broke my foot, but I think it was like a bone chip fracture of the second metatarsal, which is like, as far as, I didn't have a cast or anything. So, to have five weeks and not really be quite fit for competing, and then, um, then compete anyway, to the point where then I broke my foot again, like... Miguel's injury was a little worse than a <laughs> I, you know a bone chip fracture from second coma metatarsal. And then traction is yeah that that's a couple steps removed. <laughs> exactly. So I too find the speed of his recovery um, uh, spark some disbelief, and you know at the same time it was kind of nice to see him struggle. Like yeah. been there, you know. Again, not after a two week coma, but. Um, but at the same time, like, I can relate to the martial arts instructor being like, yeah, just tape it up, get back in there. Like, you know, although Johnny was a little protective of him. You well, know. And again, I mean, as we're thinking about this, I'm again thinking of, like, a great direction it could have gone. I think Miguel itching to get back in there makes total sense. Of course. I also think Johnny pushing as hard as he can to make Miguel okay makes sense because Johnny has all yeah. this guilt and Johnny wants to believe that he didn't actually completely fuck up this kid's life. Right. So I think there could have been a great, a great story there of like Johnny and Carmen having some strife over like, you know, Carmen loving that Johnny can help motivate him, but also knowing like that kind of checking Johnny a bit about like how much of this is about helping Miguel and how much of this is about helping your conscience. Um, you know, I'm not saying that's why Johnny did it, but like, I think that was maybe a little part of it, but instead we just kind of get, you know, once Carmen stops hating him, Carmen just kind of like rolls her eyes every time, you know, Oh, just, you know, he just set my son's sure. shoe on fire. No big deal. Whatever. Right. 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 Um, <laughs> it brings me actually to one other thing I want to ask you, and this is not even an ethics thing. It's more of a, um, reality of martial arts things. Although it ties into, again, the contrivance of the story. The other thing that just I just rolled my eyes at was, I mean, first of all, I have no idea how any of these schools are making enough money to stay open, like that, because they're. Oh, but especially Jesus Christ! <laughs> once, <laughs> once Crease is throwing his own students out, kind of curious about that. But even going, okay, even putting that aside, in season one, one of the things that it seems that we learn is that martial arts will help any kid win the fight against the guy who's just a bully who just knows how to punch and maybe kick a bit and is just big and strong and willing to fight but doesn't actually know anything about fighting. And which makes a lot of sense to me. Like, you know, hey, yeah, if you're trained in something, you're going to be a lot better at it than someone who's just, like, punching. Um, so then in this season, we have the, um, the kid who was bullying Miguel, who Miguel beat up uh, in season one, decide, you know, yeah... The dojo looks pretty cool. And then he beats up a kid who we've 
been led to believe is actually one of the better fighters in Cobra Kai. And now all of a sudden he's holding his own in fights against Miguel and people like that um, at the house and stuff like that. Did that make any sense to you? Uh, it probably made a little more sense to me than it made to you. Uh, first of all, that guy is a fighter, mm-hmm. right? He's he's trained in wrestling. So I, th- I think when you learn one style of fighting and then you – I mean it wasn't like – it was like no holds barred, right? right? So I think he ended up beating him by wrestling him to the ground um, and then maybe punching him there or something. But, uh, you know, so first of all, the whole thing of your opponents just going no uh, – of your students just going no holds barred against each other <laughs> is utterly ridiculous, yeah. right? That's just – that's not how it's done, especially with kids. Once again, right? some Teenagers, whatever. Now, perhaps from parents. Yeah. So, I mean, that's super ridiculous. Um, you – you know, yes, some schools kick some students out from time to time. I've seen it happen. It's, you know, if somebody's like a detraction to the school, sometimes it's really stupid and, and not right. Other times it's like, okay, you know, there's probably a reason you shouldn't be here anymore. Right. You know, if a kid is like a big bully or something, then you talk to them, you talk to the parents. And if they don't get any better, it's like, yeah, you know, you can't, this isn't working. Right. Um, but you don't kick out half of your students. Like if, especially if he's got a lease and that place can't be that cheap. So, I mean, that that's also, you don't just teach teenagers. Like that's not a thing. <laughs> um, so in terms of as a business, Cobra Kai is ridiculous, yeah. right? Um, you know, compare that to Miyagi-Do, which is not a business really, right? That's a hobby school. Right. That's something he does as a hobby. He's got this space cause he's like fairly well off, right? So that's very different. And then it's also easier to kind of like teach people to be sort of like chill and serene or whatever when you have this like meditation garden basically, right? right. As opposed to like you're a, you know, you're a karate dojo in a in a strip mall. Like, you know, it's probably you're you're probably it's a little harder. It's a little different setting. Sure. Um but yeah, I could see a you know, a Size actually matters a lot, right? I mean, there's this mythology around martial arts that it's like, oh, if you're, you know, if you have training, then you can just beat anyone who doesn't have training. It's like, well, it depends on how much training, right? Mm, and that's legit. Okay. And some people, you know, and some thought. people, yeah. But I mean, like that other guy, like he he beat people up a lot, right? You know, he had gotten into fights clearly, and he was a wrestler, so. Uh, if you have ten years of training, like you're, pro- you're, th- someone's not coming in off the street and like taking you down. But like these kids have had months or like a year of training or something. They're still wearing white belts. I don't totally get it. I know karate has some different belt systems depending on styles. Uh, it's not the same as taekwondo, but like it, it, we're kind of led to believe like that these kids have a certain level of training, right. but like. I don't think they actually have like a super high level of training. Like Miguel, he got some training and then he was immediately able to like beat this guy up. Miguel is an athlete to an extent, Mm -hmm. right? I think to an extent that some of the other, um, you know, increase says he's like, what we've been missing is real is natural athletes. And it's like, Hawk's not an athlete, right? Right. Hawk is all training and rage, (laughs) you know, we talked about that. So much of it's just that, He's so aggressive that he makes most people want to back down, and and then he wins the fight that way. And it's when someone stands up to him, is like, no, no, actually, no, you're hopeless in this. Right, exactly. And you know, just just the last thing is that um, also in terms of style, like 
Cobra Kai seems like this very aggressive, hard style, right? Which is going to actually probably work better in general for larger people. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they did something like Wing Chun or like, um, you know, uh, I don't know, other styles. Like there's there's different styles that are designed more to be used by, by a smaller person against a larger person. And Cobra Kai, which is from like Tang Soo Do... Um, doesn't look as much like that type of style. So I don't think it'll give as big of an advantage to, or I don't think it'll offset a size disadvantage as much as some other martial arts may. I I guess here's the thing. I feel like by having Miguel so easily beat him up, um, that's kind of, I feel like that show was saying in this world, a kid with six months of karate can beat up the bully. And so then to have him actually be like, oh, actually, no, wait, he's a wrestler. So he's a good fighter. It was like, Pick one, you know, just pick one. Right. Um, what I mean, the the other thing, though, I mean, just I I, I hear you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but just to push back a little bit, like Miguel had like private training for six months right. from somebody who had nothing else in his life but training him, which is going to get you to a very different point than like just attending classes for six months. And I guess, he, and he also had this element of surprise, right? Where this kid was like, what? Like, he had no idea what was coming. Whereas now, it's like he knows exactly what to expect. He's walking into a dojo. And, I mean, here's maybe the best way to put it and to put it into the kind of terms of the other shows we talk about. I feel like the show allows you to put a, build a very good headcanon to explain why it happened. Oh. But it's like... Yeah, yeah. It does none of the work <laughs> yeah, for exactly. you. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. Anyway. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we can now just about wrap it up. It is uh, three in the morning. Um, punchiness is very much set in. Well, anyway... Paul, thank you so much. Um, this has been a long night. Always a pleasure. Um, I would have totally expected you to be like, hell no, we're not going to record. But I, I'm glad we had this conversation. Um, yeah, me too. I really actually liked what you said about how, for you, part of why you like it is because it's, it's, it's a part of your life that is being represented that you don't see very often. And here's a funny connection. Literally on the, the podcast we were doing with our friend Logan, um, Focus on Infinity, just a few hours ago, one of the things we talked about is how when you're looking to see yourself on screen, often if you almost like I, I will watch one of the worst shows I could imagine if it's got a character in a wheelchair I can halfway relate to or a character with a prosthetic right. even, which I've never seen. Like I'd watch absolute garbage because it's the only one on there. And and I'm not saying that like I think that affects your judgment at all, but, I, but when I hear you talk about how like that, that's part of the reasons you like it. That's not a thing for me at all. And so I think that does maybe explain also why you're a little more forgiving of the show than I am. Oh, for sure. Um, Because I don't like – if I turn this off, I haven't turned off the ability to see a major part of my life on screen in the same way. Right. I also will say I may have recommended a show with someone with a prosthetic that has an important function in the plot at some point um, that you haven't watched yet. Okay. I was wondering what the hell you were talking about. (laughs) I haven't watched that one yet. Uh, I don't even know what you're talking about, which is good. No spoilers. But I will say cool. um, I'm a TikToker now. You can find me on TikTok under <laughs> The Ethical Panda. But I posted a TikTok earlier today about um, disability representation in media and how it can be very bad. And someone pointed out that in a show that you recommended to me is I think one of the absolute best representations of disability in media I've ever seen. And that's Toph in uh, Avatar The Last Day. Oh, Avatar, yeah. Because yeah. anyway, it's a whole other discussion. But yeah. So anyway. Thank you so much uh, to listeners. This is, I for a while have been pretty proud of keeping our episodes around an hour, hour 15. We've blown way past <laughs> that. We had a lot to talk about. Um, 
But I hope you... Also, I was on the podcast, yeah, also that, so... That, no, I mean, even you and I, we, we stuck to about... With most people, I can keep a 60 minutes. With you, 75 is about <laughs> where you can go. Um, okay. We throw Ashley in, and there's about 10 more minutes of humor, and that, that stretches it out. True. But, <laughs> point being, um, <laughs> we've both had our say. We'd love to know what you think. Um, did you just love this season? Because, hell, great karate. It was fun. Were there other things you loved or didn't love and, and have thoughts about what we said? Let us know. Best way to find us is um, Ethical Panda on Facebook, on Twitter. That's, as I said, it's kind of where I'm... I used to have different feeds for superhero ethics and for Star Wars Universe podcast. I'm kind of combining all of them into one. Uh, you can also email me, theethicalpanda at gmail.com. All of the links you can find by going to theethicalpanda.com. You can also find all of this on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. Part of why I'm the Ethical Panda is I'm part of that Panda Network. There's a whole bunch of great website, yeah, a whole bunch of great podcasts on that website that you'll find, some of which I'm involved with, some of which um, our friend Ashley, Matt Carroll, Jeff Randall, Dave Robertson, uh, Jason Goss, amazing group of people uh, podcasting about, you know, DC, Marvel, Star Trek, Star Wars, random stuff. We're right now talking about The Stand. We're talking about Fargo. Uh, all sorts of great stuff. Check it out. So as for Paul, along with his podcasting, he's creating a lot of great content on poker and chess and the whole idea of learning, a lot of which we talked about today. And you can find a lot more of what he has to say about those things. Just search for Zen Madman on Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, any places like that. You can find more of what he has to say. He's creating some great videos that are definitely worth checking out. So on behalf of Paul, myself, everybody involved here in the Stranded Panda Network, thank you so much. Have a great day.